1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll read the first 13 verses. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were written Pardon me, now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Let us pray. Father, again we ask you that you would shut us in with yourself. And Lord, we may be in a hot Sunday night here together and even sometimes it may seem uncomfortable conditions because of the the warmth that is here. But Father, we thank you that your spirit is here and your spirit can still move and speak even in our uncomfortableness. But we would even pray in our spirit, Father, in our own minds and hearts, Lord, that you would speak. And if you must make us uncomfortable, then do that. Because Lord, we know that you'll do all things for our good. And you'll do all things for our blessing. So, Father, we pray that you would now anoint clay lips that are mine. And, O God, that you would help me in my frailty and with my inabilities, Lord, to bring thy word unto this people and to all that would be watching or hear it. We pray, Lord, that your Son would be glorified and exalted in this place, that the word of God would have free course. And, Lord, it would be preached, Lord, in the boldness of the Spirit, none daring to make us afraid because father you have given us your word and your authority you've given us the commission and the command to go and preach the gospel to every creature so help us tonight we pray help me lord as i break the bread of life and glorify your son the lord jesus we ask it for his name's sake amen The Apostle Paul is writing and he says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. Now, obviously, there's many Israelites here in the Corinthian church who have been born again or saved. Because how else would they know what had happened all that years past uh, in Israel coming out of Egypt? How would they know about the, the food that they would eat and the rock from which they would drink How would they understand what Paul is speaking about? And in fact, Paul tells us in verse 6, he says, Now these things were our examples to the intent that you should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Notice our examples were that we should not be as they were. That you and I in these latter age or these latter days should not be as they were. We should not act like them. We should not live like them, but unfortunately, when we look at our nation, it is completely like them. In verse 11, he he writes, Now all these things happened unto them for our ensamples and are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Notice the language, upon whom the ends of the world are come. 
So the title for tonight is a message for those upon whom the ends of the world are come. And that's you and I. That's the world in which we live. That's our nation tonight. And these are examples. They are examples, but they are examples for us to know how not to live. The word example and the word ensample are the same Greek word, tupos. It's where we get the word type off. And the verses that are giving are in, in this instance now, in this instance, for it changes in, in other renderings of the word tupos throughout the Scripture. But in this context and in this instance, it is what is known as an ethical sense. In other words, Paul is telling us that this is an example that we look at and a type which could happen today. Things that happened in ancient Israel could happen in Great Britain today. Things that happened in the wilderness and the way the Lord moved. You see, he is the same God and it's you and I that changes. And those things and how God rule can happen today in a nation. Can happen in the church. How he dealt with the church in the wilderness, as it were, in the tabernacle in the wilderness. And all of those things were written in types that you and I could look at them, read them, and apply them to our lives. The idea here is the morality of them is the ethical sense, the laws of the morality of what had happened. And so the end sample is how we're not to live. The example is this is what they did, learn from it, and the end sample is we are not to live as they did. In other words, it's a dissuasive, a dissuasive example, not a persuasive example, but a dissuasive example. And Paul is trying to dissuade the people from living as Israel did in the Old Testament and throughout the whole story of their journeys. It's a dissuasive example. It gives the idea of a pattern of warning. Here in the New Covenant, here in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, and you think to hear people, and we'll look at it in a moment, that there is no Old Testament in our Bibles. You think that the Old Testament died and there was a 400-year gap. And the book of Malachi finishes. And then it's as if there's another God steps in. As if the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New. And the God of the New is not the God of the Old. But I want to tell you that Jehovah, the Yahweh of the Old Testament, is the Lord Jesus Christ of the New Testament. And yes, there are things that have changed. And yes, there are things that have been fulfilled in Him. And yes, there are things that are not held the same way from the Old or the New Covenant. We understand that. But you think to many Christians that there was no Old Covenant. There was no book of Psalms and there's no prophets to have examples by that it, it matters no more. There's no book of Genesis and creation account. We have a book that's given into us, into our hands. And from Genesis to Revelation, it is the Word of God. It is a complete word. It means it's a pattern of warning. It means it tells of a ruinous event or ruinous events that can happen to people, to church assemblies, or to nations. Of ruinous events, of how God dealt with them because of their stubbornness. And it speaks of severe admonitions or warnings to others. So when we read here in this new covenant, Paul is telling us, Listen, look what happened in the old, and he is the same God. He's a God of grace. Yes, he is. He's a God of mercy. Absolutely, yes, he is, and thank God he is. But he's also, as we heard even this morning, is a God of wrath. And one day he will judge an eternal judgment upon those who are the Christ rejecter. The example is given by Paul as in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Notice what he says in verse 11. They are written for our admonition. They are written for our admonition. We'll look at it in a moment. Notice upon whom the ends of the world are come. The word admonition is the word nathesia. 
Nothesia means to put it into your mind so that you don't forget. That's the idea of this word. For example, if you were to say, I admonish you, it gives the idea of a gentle rebuke or even a stronger rebuke to push you in a direction. But here the word changes for admonition. Nathesia means to put it into your mind that you don't forget it. I pray that God would put it into our minds that we don't forget what he tells us this evening. You can argue with me. You can say one thing different than the other. But I can tell you one thing. When it comes to the word of God, don't forget it. Do not forget it. It gives the idea that our admonition is found in the Scripture. Our admonition is found in what the Word of God says. Not what the mind of man thinks, nor what the heart of man believes in his own merit, in his own thinking, but what the Word of God says, what saith the Scripture. And it means you're to take from it, look at it, learn from it, for it could still happen today. Put the word of God in your mind and don't forget it. Upon whom? That is upon you and I and the world we live on. The ends of the world are come. The world ends is telos, which means a terminal point. It comes to a terminal point. And the word world is aeon, which means the age. The earth will not disappear. The Bible tells us that the earth abideth, what does it say? Forever. God can't change that because God hath declared it. But the world in which we live in will be burnt up. The one worldism, the new world order, The European Union will fall and collapse. The monetary banking systems like the Rothschilds and the Bilderbergers and all of those wicked uh, uh, people and programs that are going on around the world, Christ is coming and this world will be burnt up. This system of things. The wickedness of religion. The wickedness of those in denomination. It will be burnt up. Notice, it means the age, Jesus says, when he sends forth his disciples and he's about to ascend into glory. He tells them, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. But the word world there is the word age. I'm with you to the end of the age. And this is where you and I are tonight upon whom the ends of the world are come. Listen to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary on this. Ends, they write. The winding up of former ages. No new dispensation shall appear till Christ comes as an avenger and judge. Till then, the ends being many include the successive periods as we live in the last dispensation, which is the consummation of all that went before, our responsibilities are greater, and greater is the guilt. Notice what they're saying. They're commenting on this, and they're saying the responsibility of you and I is greater than it was even in the first century. You know why? Because we're at the closing end of the age. When Christ will return, we're at the closing end of this world system of things. And there are people in Ulster, in Ireland, in the UK, around the world, in the United States, and so on and so on. And they are lost without Christ. They're lost without him. And you and I have a greater responsibility to reach them that they might be saved. The responsibility on our church, that is, on the church universal, the blood-washed, is greater than ever it was before. And listen, the guilt will be greater too. Why is that? Well, let me tell you. 
because we have the Scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, because we have the examples in front of us how we should live and how we should preach that our nation should be. We have the admonitions, the admonitions to preach the word that people, listen, if people are tired of you, hearing the word of God from you, keep on preaching it. Keep on speaking it. And keep on telling it until they get it into their mind. Some people might say, Ken, you're brainwashed. Well, you're right. I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. My mind has been washed. And my mind has been changed from the way it used to be. We have the prophets, the apostles. Our nation has had great preachers of the gospel. We had the reformers. We had the Puritans. We had John Knox in Scotland. Changed Scotland. We had men like the Wesleys. We had men like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. George Whitfield. Joseph Parker. We could go on and on and on. W.P. Nicholson. We could go on. We had the Jeffreys brothers. We had everything. We had the Reformers, the Puritans. Then we had Pentecost. And we have our heritage. Listen, people want you to forget your heritage. They say your heritage is no good to you. But our heritage is soaked on the blood of the saints and of the martyrs of Christ. The heritage of the United Kingdom or the heritage of Ulster is soaked and saturated in the blood of the reformers. And men tell you, forget about it. Forget about it. Listen, the Protestant Reformation was the greatest move of the Holy Ghost since the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And people will tell you, forget about it. We have a heritage where this nation and its laws were built upon the Word of God. We have people who who, who, who cry out, Oh, don't preach politics. Listen, I don't like preaching politics, but let me tell you something. If we don't preach politics, we won't talk about abortion then. And if we don't preach the politics, then we won't talk about the gay marriage situation. We have history. We have a glorious history of the Word of God throughout these islands. We have the Word of God placed in our hands. And this book, this one, is the King James Version. This is the book that changed the world. This book changed the world. People say, you know, well, what is our, what is it that we have today? Let me tell you what we have today. We have nothing but wishy-washy snowflake people. You know what snowflakes are? Those who melt when there's heat come. Don't go to the Old Testament, they say. Let's just stick to the New. Well, listen, Romans chapter 5. Here's the New Testament for you. Or pardon me, 15. Here's the New Testament for you. And verse 4. Listen to what Paul says, and whatsoever things were written aforetime. What time, Paul? This is the New Testament now. Whatsoever things were written aforetime. When, Paul? In the Old Testament. (laughs) Paul didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at this point. Paul didn't have Peter's epistles. He didn't have the book of Acts. Paul didn't have John's revelation of Jesus Christ in the Isle of Patmos. Paul had the scrolls of the Old Covenant. Whatsoever things were written 
aforetime. Listen, we're written for our learning. That through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures. So now he's telling us the Old Covenant is still the Scriptures. You might have hope. Oh, it's all law and it's all damnation. And it's, no, it isn't. The Scriptures is beautiful. The Old Covenant has got substance in it. Where do you go whenever you need some encouragement? I go to the Psalms. Hello? Where do we go when we need to know what points and who points to Christ and his coming? Before, at Bethlehem to his second coming, we go to the Old Covenant. We go to the New Old Testament to read the Scriptures. Listen to Second Timothy chapter 3. Here's the New Covenant again. Here's the Scriptures for you. Second Timothy 3 verse 15. Paul writes, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Timothy, from you've been a wee boy, you've known the Holy Scriptures. The Hierogramata, you call it. The Hierogramata he's speaking of. And there he's speaking of the Old Testament. And Paul's saying, Timothy, you know the Old Testament. I think sometimes we read the New Covenant with blinkered glasses just to see what we want to see. Paul says, you read, you know the Hierogrammata or the, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, the Old Covenant was able to make you wise unto salvation. Well, how does that, Paul? Have you ever read Isaiah 53? For he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And Yahweh hath laid on him his son the iniquity of us all. Timothy, you know that speaks of the one who died on the cross. You know that speaks of the one who shed his precious blood. Timothy, you know it from a young boy and you learned it. You know fine rightly, Timothy, that the Christ who died on the cross and shed his blood and went to the tomb and rose again the third day, who ascended into heaven and who is glorified and seated in the right hand of the majesty on high, he's the one whom Isaiah saw and spoke of. Sure, even tells us, speaking of Christ to him and to him, Give all the prophets witness unto him. Notice what he says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. All scripture. Would you say all scripture? All scripture. Now, are warm tonight, so would you say it again a bit louder? All scripture. All scripture. And so he it seems as though Paul is changing it here from the Holy Scriptures, the Hierogrammata, that is the, the Old Covenant. And now he's saying, and now what I'm writing, this is the New Testament, what I'm writing is the Holy Spirit not only comes on me, but is speaking from me. All Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God or all Scripture is God-breathed. When we opened at 1 Corinthians 10 tonight, oh, the breath of God just breathed on you. Think about it. You open your Bible in the hardship, it's the breath of God breathing on you. You open your Bible in your troublesome times or the times you don't know what way to turn or what to do, it's the breath of God breathing on you. Morning, noon, and night, God breathes upon you when you open the Scriptures and you read them. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, it is God-breathed. Do you know the Bible is the only book where its author is present every time it is read? You know, Alton, I had written a book. I'm not plugging it. I'm just saying that for, to make a, a con and put it in context. Alton, I had written a book. And it tells about life story and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, and that's okay. And you can read it and get a wee bit of who we are. But we're not there when you're reading it. 
We're not with you when you're reading it. There's people who've read it and commented on it. We didn't know they had read it. But every time you open the Scriptures, every time you open your Bible, every time you open the Word of God, He's there breathing on you. He's the only author that is present every time this book is read. We have all of these things to thank the Lord for. Our responsibilities are greater, but I can tell you what we don't have. We don't have any excuses. We don't have excuses. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, please take note and hear me. Bible knowledge in itself will not save you. You can know the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, inside and out. You can cross T's, dot I's, jot and tittle, and everything else in between, and you can know it all off by heart, but it does not save you. The devil knows the Scripture. The devil knows there's a God and he trembles. But the Scriptures show us our sin and our need of a Savior. And the Scripture points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior. The Scriptures tell us our need of salvation and how to be saved. So listen to Adam Clark. If any of you have heard of Adam Clark before, Adam Clark is a a commentary. He's done a, a classic. It's known as a classic a commentary. Um, he was a Methodist. My memory serves me right. He's a Methodist preacher, hundred and something years ago. In fact, if you go to Port Rush up in the Antrim coast, there you'll see his church sits near the V on the road, and you go through Port Rush itself for the town. That was his church, and he had another little church in Port Stewart as well. And he's known as a be a classic commentary in writing. Listen to what he says, just a couple of lines. He says, religion that fears the Bible is not the religion of God. What? Now, please, listen. Religion that fears the Bible is not the religion of God. In other words, the context that he is saying this in is those who do not Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Those preachers, pastors, priests, prelates, primates, whoever else, whether it's pope or preacher or whoever he is, if they're not according to this word, says, then they don't know him. And they don't know him. Those who do not read or use or expound the living word of the living God and live by it, they're afraid. They're afraid of what people might think of them. This book will radically change your life. The word of God will change the life of anybody. And if the Word of God and you read it or know it and it doesn't change your life, then there's no Word of God in you. In the London Times in 2005, London Times 2005, the Roman Catholic bishops of England, Scotland, and Wales got together and produced what was known as the new teaching called the Gift of Scripture. And they warned, and I'm quoting, Catholics should not take the Bible literally. It is not infallible. They claim the creation stories. You wrote it this morning. You stole my thunder a bit this morning. <laughs> creation stories cannot be considered historically correct. It simply contains historical traces. God did not create all things what is used the big bang you stole that this morning off me 
Friends, a nation, our nation, is littered with so-called Protestant leaders, churches, so-called evangelical churches, and Pentecostal churches that fears the Bible. Now, let me get this in the right context. That fears the Bible in the sense they're afraid to preach the Scriptures. They're afraid of the Word of God. They're afraid to expound to their congregations. They're afraid to put it online in case there's a comeback. They're afraid, and so they fill the people with stories, allegories. Help me through my day stories, and not the Word of the living God. As I said before, and I'll say it again, there are many churches and their people are growing up like mushrooms. They're put in a box. They're kept in the dark, and they're fed on manure. Greek scholar Dean Alford, he was studying where Paul says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And Dean Alford said this, all Scripture means this, every single part of the Scripture is breathed by God. Every part of it. In Deuteronomy 8, in the end of the verse, verse 3, at the end of it, it says, Man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And the Lord Jesus used this in his temptation in the wilderness. When the devil came to him in a time when he was hungry and thirsty and tired and weary. And Christ used the Scripture, and it's the Scripture that enabled him to thwart the wiles of the devil. It's the Scripture, brother. It's the Scripture, sister, that will enable you. Listen, and it's Old Testament they used. When Martin Luther cried, the just shall live by faith after reading it in the book of Romans. Just didn't find it in the book of Romans. He also found it in the Old Testament. You can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. Do you know that? You can't fully, truly understand it. And you can't fully, truly understand the, the New Testament as it reveals the Old Testament. Both go together. Yes, we live in the new covenant. Yes, we live in grace. Yes, we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works lest any man should boast. Yes, yes, yes. But I'll tell you something. People say, oh, we're just New Testament Christians. Are you? Others say, well, we just go by the law. Well, the law won't save you. We're not Old Testament Christians. We're not New Testament Christians in CET. We're Old Testament Christians in CET. Old Testament. Preaching from all of the Scriptures. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, or the living and the dead. That is, at his appearing, he says. The quick means the living. When Christ returns, there are those who have died in Christ. Paul tells us the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's those who have passed away saved. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain. That's the quick, the living, and the dead. Shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds. But notice, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing on this kingdom. Listen to what he says in verse 2. Preach the word. What word, Paul? Paul, what do you want me to preach? Do you want me to preach from the book of Revelation, Paul? Paul says, it hasn't been written yet. We're speaking on, in his day now. We, we are blessed. We have it all. And he's telling 
Uh, Timothy, preach the word, Timothy. Well, would you, would you like me to take Peter's letters, First Peter and Second Peter? Would you like me to take the, the book of Acts and, and preach in that? And he says, no, preach the word or turn to the scriptures of the old covenant and show Christ in them. Be instant. In season out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Notice this. And nowadays you say anything to anybody in the church and you don't shake hands at the door, sure they're falling out with you and leaving the church. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yeah, right. Pastor didn't shake my hand at the door, I'm not going back. Snowflake. <laughs> Notice what he says. <laughs> These are killing me now. <laughs> Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I used to read that as a young Christian and wondered why these teachers were itching, had itchy ears all the time. But it really doesn't mean that. It means they were tickling their ears. Ten ways to have a blessed life. Jesus just loves everybody about everything and you can live how you like. Tickle, tickle, tickle. <laughs> I haven't got the teeth for the smile of some of them. I have a few bars missing on the grate. But <laughs> if I had, I would show them more. Verse 4, they shall turn away their ears. Where? From the truth. Turn away their ears from the truth. Is this not the ends coming upon us? Listen, I'm not speaking about people not here are unwell and not here tonight or just because they're not here. I'm not speaking about people who are away on holiday. We all need our holidays and our breaks and God bless them. I'm not talking about that. So please get me right here when I say this. But you know, it gets to the point now where, well, you know, Pastor didn't come out today because it was sunny. And we just wanted to sit in the sun. Or Pastor wasn't at church today because, you know, uh, it, it was a wee bit too wet and I didn't want to get wet coming out of the car. Or Pastor didn't come to church today because the snow was too deep and it was about a half a centimeter. This is the caliber of the church. I'm just loving Jesus on my own. Well, then you're not obeying the scripture forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, says the scripture. Wow. What are you on tonight, Ken? That's woeful. That's terrible. I don't know. It's just there. shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned on the fables, but watch thou in all things. Listen, endure afflictions. Now, hold on a minute. I'm going off track here, so I might have to do, just see how I wrap this up soon and do something else and next week. But here's the thing about this. Endure afflictions. I'm sure I thought we're all going to waft through life when I came to Christ. I play my heart and strum and float along as if I'm gliding along the floor and nothing's ever going to hurt me anymore. I'm never going to have any trial or trouble. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. Some of the preachers did. It's the preachers that said that. Jesus says, in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Why, Jesus? Give me something. I need something, Lord. I have overcome the world. He didn't promise you it would be easy, but he promised you he'd be with you. But watch down all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. 
That's what Glenn and Calvin and all has been doing, going out, doing the work of an evangelist, make foolproof of thy ministry. I wish I had a night just to read that last part and tell you what ministry really is. Make foolproof of ministry. I could write a book on that alone. So in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 12, here's some pointers as we round this up. Believe it or not, that's my introduction. So you were talking about that this morning, Aaron. Verses 1 and 2, we have God's deliverance. Do you know in our heritage, and this is what people want us to forget, do you know in our heritage, uh, from 1066 onward, these islands have never been invaded? They've been invaded now, but... The European Union has opened floodgates for them. Do you know from that time onward, from that time onward, that God has sent great miracles at the Spanish Armada, delivered our nation. I've taught on it. It's online. You can read it or watch it yourself. Saved our nation from a Spanish Armada when the government or the Queen, as it were, Elizabeth I at the time, prayed and got people to light beacons all throughout England. Called everybody to the nation to prayer. And everybody came and they bowed before the living God and they held forth this word and they preached this word up and down the land that God would deliver them. And the Spanish Armada came and it says he blew with his winds and they were scattered. Scattered the Armada. I tell you about the First World War and the Angels of Mons. When the British forces were held captive and ready for pure extinction and, uh, and the king called uh, for a national day of prayer, you can see it, read it, go and look at it online. And the people came and they thronged the cathedrals. And they cried on to God and guess what? The Lord sent an angel and it was the German forces dropped their weapons and ran because they saw an angelic beings. No one understood why this military power, which was greater at the time, dropped all of their, all of their weapons and ran. It was all documented. You can go online and look at it. Check it out. It's called the Angel of Mons. In fact, there's been a new coin has been just dedicated, I think it was the end of last year, beginning of this year by the British Treasury and the Mint to commemorate it. Or the Second World War. Dunkirk, when those troops, 330 plus thousand, had just been along those beaches. And there was the, the, the advancing German forces. And here on this side was the, the, the English Channel and the sea. And they, they were trapped in the Luftwaffe was to be sent over to drop bombs on it. They were sitting ducks. And the National Day of Prayer was called again. And what happened? The rough sea went smooth like a duck pond. Little flotillas were able to go over and bring the troops home. And on the other side, God sent a mighty storm between them and the Germans. And the Luftwaffe couldn't take off. Why? Because they called a National Day of Prayer and sought the face of the Lord. What does Britain need? We need a national day of prayer. That men and women would be called into places of worship and with one heart and with one accord to seek the face of God. That our troubles in our own land might be turned around again. We have God's deliverance in verses 1 and 2. We have God's providence in verses 3 and 4. They did eat the same spiritual meat and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Then we have God's governance in verse 5. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. God 
as the governor, he decided against them because of what they were doing. And then in verse 6, verses 6 to 12, we have God's adamance. God's adamance. For example, in Ezekiel 3 and verse 9, the prophet's afraid to go and preach the word like we've just spoken of. He's afraid of what they'll do to him. He's afraid of what men will say. He's afraid of being hated. He's afraid of being taken and thrown into a pit or prison or killed or beaten or something else. And he says, but God, I'm afraid, said Ezekiel the prophet. And this is the words what the Lord says, Ezekiel 3 and 9. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. You know what he says? Don't you be afraid of their faces. He says, your head is harder than theirs. He says, I've made it like flint, harder than flint, as an adamant. In other words, Ezekiel, go and headbutt the whole lot of them with the word of God. It's the idea of it. Run at them with the head. I'm afraid nowadays we're finding people who are just afraid to speak out. God's adamance is in the four neithers. We'll not go into them tonight because we take another night to do this. The four neithers. Verse 7 is the first one. Neither be ye idolaters. Uh, as, uh, Exodus 32 can tell you about that. Verse 8. Neither be ye fornicators. Let us commit fornication, pardon me, as the second one. Numbers 25 will talk to you about some of that. In verse 9, neither let us tempt Christ. Ezekiel, or pardon me, Exodus 17 tells us that about they tempted Christ in the wilderness for bread and water. And it's here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's telling us about it. Can you see the Old Testament just in this passage? Paul's telling us, this is what they did, and this is what they did, and this is what they did. Don't do it. Neither, neither, neither. God is adamant. And the fourth one is, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. See the word murmur? It's a word, gongizo. This is what it means. I'll close with this point. Gonguzo means to discontently complain. To speak in a low mutter or tone. It gives the idea of those who confer secretly together to plot. And Paul speaking on Israel murmuring against the Lord. Looking back when they murmured against God and against Moses. Here's the idea of the murmuring in the wilderness. It's not just... You know, I'm just feeling rough today, Lord, and I'm crying all the time. I'm murmuring against you. That's not the idea of it. The idea is this. They got themselves in such a state they couldn't be spoken to. Blinkers on. Sure, where's God now? God's not with us. God has left us. Sure, look what's happening amongst Israel. Look at all God's people. This is meant to be them. Look at them. And they were like this. Don't tell me what God wants to tell me. and Don't say what God says to me. But God will give you bread and God will give you water and God will look after you and God said he's with you and he says I'll neither leave you nor forsake you. I don't want to know about all of this. Don't talk to me about it. That's the idea of the murmuring. Paul says neither murmur like they did there because Christ took them like that. Am I speaking to someone tonight like that, with a heart like that? Listen, you could be taken like that. It means to go into a stubborn state of mind against the Word of God. To be in constant, insubordinate, unmovable, unbelieving, unpleasant of a mindset. Mental blinkers are on and so one murmurs and complains and is never satisfied with that which God has provided and given. They discontently complain, mutter under their breath and confer secretly together against the Lord and his anointed leadership. And God says, I will take you out. That's what happened in the Old Testament. 
and we're warned not to do it in the new. In verse 13 it says how it gives us an idea of an escape, pardon me. There is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. A way to escape. A way to escape. In Matthew 23 and 33, it says, How shall you escape the damnation of hell? In Hebrews 2 and verse 3 it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? In Hebrews 12 and 25 it says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that speak on earth, that speak on earth, how much shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? God says, I have made a way of escape. What is that way? When you go right back to Exodus chapter 12, you take the blood of the Lamb, you put it on the doorposts and on the door lintels. He says, I'm passing through Egypt this night, and there's no escape. But when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's your way of escape, through the blood of the Lamb. That's your way of escape the judgment. That's the way of escape if you've been a murmuring heart, a cold and indifferent heart. That's your way of escape if you've been in an unbelieving mindset. That's your way of escape the judgment and the wrath of God. It's through the blood that Jesus shed. That's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful gospel of good news. Christ has loved you. Shed his blood for you. And if you're his... He's coming back for you. I trust you're safe tonight. May God bless his word to all of our hearts. And it's been warm and uncomfortable, but I trust the Spirit will make us uncomfortable where he wants to make us uncomfortable. For the glory of Christ. Amen.